good morning. To see you. Beautiful weather out there. Hope you're having a good summer and a good weekend. This is a series called Grow, and it's based on the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This morning, we are going to look at the topic of patience, and our scripture is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where we read, for the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Paul says in Colossians 1.11, God is strengthening us so that we may have great endurance and patience. There's probably of the list of the fruit of the Spirit, none, none of the fruit of the Spirit where people more readily admit they have a need of it than patience. Even coming in uh, this morning, numerous people talked about, boy, I'm looking forward to this because uh, I need more patience. The fact is that most of us have patience. It's just that we have a lack of patience in a given area. So we have some area of our life that triggers impatience. For example, I've been in ministry work for 45 years. I am totally comfortable with sitting in a room with someone who is dealing with a personal problem that seems unmovable. But put me in a room where the TV will not will not completely technologically get Netflix on without cycling back every so often and and I begin to wonder if I'm going to go to heaven. Because I become so impatient. Most of us have areas of life where we are very patient. But we may have an area of life where things trigger a response that requires, that results in great impatience. And in that impatience, we can actually do considerable damage. Now, why do we need patience? Well, two things. Number one, because we all have troubles. The Bible says, in this world, you will have tribulation, and you and I face troubles. Uh, Marcy and I have a little phrase we use, and this phrase is, it's always something. And this side of heaven, it is not likely that we'll get in many seasons of life where there is not something that carries with it the potential of disturbing us in a significant way. Usually those troubles will be in one of three areas. Either we're having trouble with people, either ourselves or someone else. We'll be having trouble with circumstances or events. Our son Nolan and his wife and our three grandkids uh, with them were here for a couple weeks this summer and we let them use our car. You know where this is headed. Uh, He happened to find a parking lot downtown that had an elevated... uh, an elevated curb right next to a deep puddle. He was not familiar with that area, came around, dropped into that pothole, hit the curb, and uh, tomorrow I'm taking my car in, and uh, we got $3,500 worth of damage. Uh, He wanted to know if he could cover the deductible, and I said, Oh, I don't think so. There are many home projects that can be gobbled up with that uh, deductible. So whenever he comes up, we'll have a list of things that uh, it's really, it's always a good feeling to know someone else is obligated to you. (laughs) So, So we're not letting him pay for that. So number one, we have trouble. Number two, we have desires. We have things we want. And then people or things get in the road. Uh, Americans as a culture, uh, we're not actually that good at delayed gratification. 
We, uh, we save about the least of any country in the industrial world. And uh, so we have things we want. So Nathan and his wife Laura are here. They live in Beijing, China, come back for the summer. Uh, Camden is five and Katie's about three and a half. We were babysitting a couple days ago and Katie came to me and said, Camden has a toy I want. I said, uh, did Camden take it away from you? No, but I want it. Is Camden playing with it? Yes, but I want it. I said, well, Katie, sometimes Katie doesn't get what she wants. She paused and then said, Mommy always gives Katie what she wants. <laughs> now, I know Mommy, and Mommy doesn't always give Katie what she wants. She was working the system, but you and I have things we want. And people, circumstances, and events can get in the road. So because we have troubles and because we have desires, patience matters. So we're going to look at some things about patience. Then we're going to look at three things that are our values to us if we have patience. And then we're going to finish up by looking at the great example of patience in the Bible, which is the life of Joseph. There's four words for patience in the New Testament. Now, this is a fascinating thing to me. Three of those words do not even exist in classical Greek, which means that the culture around the church didn't value patience. It was not really considered that much of a virtue. Patience became a high-value virtue in the church of Jesus Christ. Those meanings of patience that we find in the Bible are four. One is patience with others, including ourselves, patience with people. It's a sense of endurance. It's what Ephesians means when Paul says, forbearing one another in love, that we have patience with others. Number two, patience with circumstances, that events and circumstances come into our lives, and some of them are not immediately movable. Our son Nolan is a project manager for hospital construction, so all he works on is hospitals. Part of his job is to go to established hospitals and give them an assessment of what would need to happen to bring their hospital up to a certain grade of renovation. Recently, he was in Louisiana in Lafayette at a large hospital there, and he phoned home and said that as he toured the hospital making this assessment, he was in a children's ward and he looked in one room and in that room was a small boy with no hair laying on a bed, his father laying on the bed with him watching a cartoon. My wife said when Nolan was describing that, even on the phone, he choked up. Because he knew this father was dealing with something that is not immediately addressable. Patience in difficult circumstance. The third is patience that does not demand its own rights. And the fourth is bearing up under evil. Right now I'm reading a, a book by Peter Holmes who's on staff here called Christ Walks Where Evil Reigned. And it's on the genocide in Rwanda where in a 100-day period 
One tribe in Rwanda killed one million people from another tribe, mostly by machetes. It's a level of evil that is difficult to even mentally comprehend. Christ walks where evil reigns. And so there are these three, four kinds of patience, and patience is a particular Christian virtue. Now let's look at a few things around patience. Patience and things that take time. Uh, some years ago, my wife had a very difficult surgery, and the neurosurgeon that did the surgery was called Dr. Dolan. Dr. Dolan said in the recovery period, which took some time, well, he said, using this phrase, it just takes time. In those days, my wife was working with calligraphy, and she'll, she took a piece of parchment, and on that parchment she wrote in calligraphy, it just takes time, and she framed it and put it on a wall to remind us that some things... Some things just take time. You've been working, some of us in this room have been working for years on a given issue or area of our life. And we sometimes can be discouraged by how incremental seem, seems the progress. But some things just take time. Patience and unchangeable realities. Paul was dealing with what the Bible calls a thorn in the flesh. Three times we're told he prayed that God would remove that thorn. And finally God came and said to Paul, Paul, I will not remove this thorn. In short, he was saying, My, I am more glorified with you and this thorn than with you without this thorn. There are areas of our life where we must be patient with unchangeable realities. Patience in things we should not be patient about. While this is a discourse on patience, there are some things that we should not put up with. For 15 years, I was on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals, representing over 65 Christian denominations throughout the United States. I grew up in the 60s. In the 60s, and 70s were the middle of the civil rights marches and movement in the United States where black people of the South were standing against the Jim Crow laws that had been established to keep black people from voting and put, it, put up barriers that no white person would have to endure. And during that season, the NAE was silent. So the years later, in the meeting of the leaders of the NAE, they wrote a formal apology to their black brothers and sisters for this behavior, something they should not have been patient with. Patience and powerlessness. Patience is not powerlessness. Pa patience is, catch this phrase, the ability to wait upon God. It's when I bring God into the equation and know that God is at work even in ways and beyond ways that I can consider and I am being patient because I am waiting upon the Lord. And that leads us to patience and passivity. Um, Galatians 6, 9, talking about patience, uses the metaphor of a farmer and his crop. I grew up on a farm. We raised wheat, barley, and oats. And uh, in northwestern North Dakota... 
uh, in the days in which I was a young person, after you had planted your crop and gone over your summer fallow, which was land that you laid, allowed to lay fallow so it would restore itself, and drove your cattle down to the lower pastures, there was nothing to do for a month. And my dad would always take us on vacation in the month of June. He was not being passive. He was allowing a natural process to work out. And more, the more you study Scripture, the more you see the activity of God working its way out. So it is not passivity. Patience and leadership. Four times. Patience is cited as a quality, a requirement, a goal for effective leaders. Patience in God. 1 Peter 3.20, the Bible says, God waits patiently. God waits patiently. And so as we look at patience, we see that there are at least three benefits from us having a patient spirit. The first is that it frees us to serve others. When my spirit is patient, then it's not always in turmoil when either a desire is unmet or a problem is unsolved. And so I am free to serve others. I think one of the, one of the for me, the most beautiful worship center I've ever been in in my life is King's College Chapel in Cambridge, England, part of the University of Cambridge. Massive, massive uh, Windows, stained glass, just so light inside. But if you go down from King's College Chapel in all of its beauty and turn a corner, there is a far more modest and humble stone church. And it was in that church that Charles Simeon preached for 55 years. Charles Simeon eventually had a a set of somewhere around 22 volumes of his sermons and Bible studies published. But when Charles Simeon came to that church as a young pastor, many of the people who were established in that church didn't like him. And so they spoke against him. When speaking against him didn't run him out, then they started taking preaching services away and they couldn't technically take away the Sunday morning service and so the the, there was a Bible study that, that in the history of that church, the lead pastor always taught. And they took that Bible study away and gave it to somebody else, hoping that that level of humiliation would run him out. But he stayed. Finally, uh, all the pews had doors on because you would rent your pew. The people wouldn't come, but they would lock the doors of their pew. So none of the pews had any people in so the people who wanted to come and hear him preach had to bring their own logs, boards, and stumps in order to sit on. So all the way down the center and all the way around the side of the pews were all the people that had come to hear Charles Simeon preach. Now by that time, if I had been there, I would have heard the call of God to Hawaii. But Charles Simeon stayed for 55 years and served without resentment because one of the meanings of that first meaning of the four of patience is enduring without resentment in our ability to serve other people. 
Second, it frees us to release others. Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story of a man who has a massive debt, and he's brought before the man to whom he owns the debt, and the man forgives the debt. And then the man with the debt just forgiven goes out, finds a man who owes him a minuscule amount and threatens to throw him into prison. People hear it, and they go back and tell the man who had been owed the enormous debt. And that man who had owed the enormous debt came in, and he was judged for his inability, his unwillingness. You see, patience means I understand how patient God has been with me. A person who's impatient is admitting to a low level of self-awareness. A low level of self-awareness. How patient the Lord is with you and with me. It also is a declaration of our awareness of how patient other people are with you and with me. Do you realize how hard you are to live with? How difficult you can be? Or is that only the other people that are difficult and hard to live with? And in fact, if they would just do what you and I think they should do, the world would be a better place. Do you and I need to be patient with other people, but you realize how patient they have to be with you, and they have to be patient in three areas. Number one, they have to be patient with your strengths. And why would that be? You'd think, well, I'm strong in this area. Everybody would appreciate this. But the fact is that if I am really strong in an area, then it comes so natural to me, I assume everybody can see and do what I can see and do. That it actually is that easy for them. So it's a little bit like going to the grocery store to pick something up, only to get there and find out there are nine types of whatever you're going to have to pick up. But the person who sent you to the store assumes, well, you naturally want this one. That's one of the reasons I believe that God gave us cell phones. So we could call home and find out, do you want the whole or the chopped? These are strengths. But other people have to be patient with my weaknesses. Because in an area in which I am weak, not only do I not see clearly, other people have to adjust to my being weak in that area. Do you realize how other people have to adjust to your weak areas? And people have to adjust to our ways, our strengths, our weaknesses, and our ways. Everyone in here has your ways. And your ways are not a matter of moral right or wrong, it just the way you are. Some people don't mind clutter. Other people, everything has to be in a, in a, in a, in a row. Everybody, everything's got to be in its place. You're, you're not settled unless everything's in its place. Now my father and mother, uh, my, my dad, my mom was the Sunday school superintendent of the church. So on a Sunday morning, we lived 18 miles out of town and she wanted to be there early. But my dad had ways. And he was a putterer. Are there any putterers here? And we would be sitting in the car, my brother, I, and my mom, 15 below zero, the middle of January, 
my dad is in the house. And my mom would say, what can that man be doing? (laughs) And I know what he was doing. First, I don't know anyone who's ever taken longer showers than my father. And then he would notice his fingernails needed clipping. And so he would sit down in the kitchen table and he would clip his fingernails. Then he would go into every room to make sure that every light was turned off. It was just his ways, and you have ways. And you know, some of your ways are really irritating. (laughs) So other people are patient with my strengths and with my weaknesses and with my ways. When I'm patient, it frees me to release others. Remember when Jesus was... uh, Jesus was talking to Peter near the end of his time on earth. And he was telling Peter how Peter was going to die. And Peter looked over to John, the disciple, and said to Jesus, Well, what, what about him? And Jesus said, What is that to you? What is that to you? You need to release that. Patience is a spirit that I carry that allows me to release other people. So I can serve them and release them. And freedom, it also frees me to love others. Now, how is, how is serving and releasing different than loving? Because I can serve one, someone at a distance and I can release them at a distance but I can only love them up close. Love means I am moving towards them and inviting them to move towards me. So younger, in younger years, uh, Billy Graham decided in his organization to start having, uh, uh, start making full-length feature films. And one of the first ones he made in color was The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place was a story of Corrie Ten Boom and her family. They were Dutch. And during World War II, they hid Jews from the Germans. And then they were discovered, and their entire family was sent to concentration camps. And all of her family died in those German concentration camps, including the one she was in. Her sister died in that camp. Due to a clerical error, she was released And she spent the rest of her life traveling the globe talking about the love of Jesus Christ. But in one meeting, a man who had become a Christian came up to thank her for her talk and to shake her hand. And when she met him, she recognized him as one of the guards in the camp where her sister died. And he held out his hand. And Corey Ten Boom writes, I could not take it. And I had to pray, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I cannot love him. Will you love him through me? He said, it was then that I could reach out my hand. I could move towards him and shake his hand. Patience frees me to serve others, to release others, and to love others. Now, if you're looking for a area to improve in life, one of the best things you can do is find a passage of Scripture and just live in that for a year. 
So for example, if you want to become more loving, if every week for 52 weeks you read 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter of love, if you wanted to have more joy of every week for 52 weeks, you read the book of Philippians, a book that's called the book of joy that Paul wrote when he was in prison. Or if you wanted to have more consistent behavior, you could read the book of James every, every week for 52 weeks. But if you wanted patience, you could do no better than to read Genesis chapter 37 to 50 of the book of Genesis where you will find the story of Joseph. And for the last few moments, we want to just look at that story. For you will find in that story a man who, though betrayed, injured, and hurt, served others, released others, and loved others. Joseph's father was Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's promise that Ab to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons who became the basis of the 12 tribes of Israel. One of his sons, the second from the youngest, was Joseph. And when Joseph was 17, there was a tr problem in the family because the father was showing great favoritism. He made Joseph a coat that was so elaborate, a robe that was so elaborate, some call it the robe of many colors or the coat of many colors, that the other sons could see the favoritism of their father. And the Bible says they hated Joseph because of it. At 17, the brothers were out herding sheep. Joseph was told to go out and see how they were doing. The Bible says he came back and he gave his brothers a bad report. The Bible says for that they hated him. So when you and I are talking about patience and you're thinking in yourself, yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, but God does know. Because Joseph was functioning in a very dysfunctional family where his siblings actually hated him. And we know they hated him because again he was asked to go out and check on his brothers. And when they saw him coming a long way off, the Bible says they conspired to kill him. So siblings may not, may not agree or get along, but to conspire to kill my siblings, And then as he got close, they stripped him of his robe. Then one of the brothers, Reuben, said, well, let's throw him in one of these cisterns and not just kill him. And Reuben was going to come back later and try to save him. They threw him in the cistern. Reuben left for a while. While he was gone, a caravan came by, and they got Joseph out, and they sold him, sold him to the, the merchants on the caravan. Reuben came back and saw his brother was gone. The caravan went to Egypt. And there, Joseph was sold into slavery. He was sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a ruler for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Bible says that Potiphar realized that God was with Joseph, that everything Joseph did prospered, and so he put him in charge of his whole home. Everything. And everything prospered. And then this interesting little phrase... But Joseph was a handsome man. 
Potiphar's wife began to try to seduce Joseph. Joseph consistently refused her until one day when nobody was around, she grabbed for him. She got a hold of his cloak. He fled the room, but she had his cloak. Now rejected, she called out, accused him of attempted rape. He was imprisoned. Funny thing there, the warden saw that God was with Joseph, and Joseph prospered. And so the warden put him in charge of all the prisoners. Now two prisoners come in. One was the baker for the, for the pharaoh, the, then the cupbearer who, who poured all the wine for the pharaoh to make sure it wasn't poison. They had a dream. Joseph interprets the dream, says, well... In three days, the baker is going to be hung. Not good news. In three days, the cupbearer is going to be restored. So he says to the cupbearer, no use wasting time on the baker. He says to the cupbearer, when you get back to Pharaoh's palace, would you remember me? And then this little phrase, the cupbearer is released and he forgot Joseph. Now there's a lot of reasons for Joseph to be bitter. You can camp at your injuries. You can camp at how other people have failed you. But Joseph does not. Two years later, it says, two years, the Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret his dream. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, Jacob or Joseph. And so he tells Pharaoh about it. Joseph goes into Pharaoh's presence. The Bible says they washed him up and gave him new clothes and shaved him so he looked all right. And Pharaoh tells him his dream. And Joseph said there will be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Well, we got to do something, the Pharaoh says. I need to put someone in charge of this. How about you, Joseph? And so Joseph becomes the number two ruler of Egypt. The Bible says he is number two, and he's given a chariot. It'd be like a Mercedes. He's given a chariot, and he rules. And one-fifth of everything that's produced for seven years is put in storage. The Bible says so much was stored away that they stopped keeping records because they could not keep up with the amount of storage they had for all the food. Famine comes. The Egyptians are fed. The other countries starve. They begin to come. And wouldn't you know, a group of brothers, Joseph's brothers, come to Egypt because their families are starving. And Joseph meets them. They don't know it's Joseph. But you know what Joseph does? He eventually discloses to them who he is. And the Bible says they're afraid because Joseph has all the power. And then this little phrase, come closer. Joseph says to them, come closer. And the scripture says he wept. And then when Benjamin came, he wept again. And when his father came, he wept again. And he went to the Pharaoh and he made sure they had the best land, everything that was needed. And his father was old, 130 years. The Pharaoh provided carts so his father could get to the land of Egypt. And Joseph said, 
Do not be afraid. You meant it for evil. But God used it for good. And in his life, he served others and his brothers. He had a spirit that was released to release his brothers from their offenses. And he drew his brothers to him because because Joseph carried a patient spirit. You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. I think that's what the Lord wants to say to us this morning. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That means if there's an area of your life in which you need patience, God is saying, I will help you. Let's set our things aside and bow our heads and finish up this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, there might be an area of our life that the Holy Spirit has just surfaced right now. This last half hour, you recognize that the Lord has had something to say. And could you find in your heart a yes to what the Lord is saying to you? Lord, I hear you. My answer is yes. Tell me my next step. Tell me my next step. I want to stand with Joseph. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be able to serve without resentment. To release others. And to love. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that what you call us to, you want to empower us to. For how you have spoken to us individually and specifically and uniquely this morning, I pray that you will clarify and cement that into our heart. You will assure us of your help. You will clarify a next step and you will walk with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.